Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. James chapter 4, verse 13, through James chapter 5, verse 6, is the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. James 4, 13, through James 5, verse 6. We're almost through the letter of James, the Lord's brother, and uh, we're looking at the way our faith is tested throughout this letter from James. James tells us that anything that is worth something is going to be tested. And our faith in God is going to be tested. Our confidence in God, our convictions about who God is and what God has said is going to be tested throughout our life by different things. And you and I will even be able to sort of evaluate where we are in our faith by these things that come in and how we respond to them. So in this passage of Scripture, what James is going to teach us is that our faith is going to be tested by our values, by our system of values, by what are our priorities in our life and, and by what is really important to us. That, that's where our faith is one of the ways it's going to be tested because if we believe in the God of the Bible and we say we have confidence in him and we trust in what he says, then James says it should be reflected in certain ways. And I see primarily in this passage from 4.13 to 5.6 three areas that our faith is tested in as far as our values go. First, from verse 13 through 17 of James chapter 4, I think James is saying our faith is tested by our value of life. By our value of life. The life that God gives us to live here on earth. Then in 5 verses 1 through 6, I see two areas where our faith is tested. One is our faith is tested by the value we place on our soul. And then I think he's also teaching us in this passage that our faith is tested by the value we place on making an eternal investments rather than simply earthly investments. Now, James, in this passage, starts out in these two different sections the same way. You'll notice the first two words of verse 13 and the first two words of chapter 5, verse 1 are the same. Come now, James says. In the original language, what it really means is, listen carefully to this, what I'm about to tell you. Pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. Not that we should discount everything else that he said, but James is basically using a tool that Jesus himself used with his own followers. I grew up with the King James version of the Bible, and there were times throughout Jesus' teachings and his instructions where he would look at his disciples and he would say, and it would be translated this way, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say this to you. Not that, again, that what Jesus is saying now is really important and what else he says isn't important, but it was almost like Jesus even said, Guys, don't miss what I'm about to say. You've got to get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Now, in the net translation that we use here at the Oasis, instead of verily, verily, or truly, or truly, those words are translated by Jesus by saying, 
I tell you a solemn truth. Same principle, same idea, same concept. Exactly what James is saying in 4.13 and 5.1. Come now. Are we really paying attention? Let's listen very closely and carefully to what I'm about to say because I really want you to get this. Our faith, first of all, is going to be tested by the value that we place on our earthly lives. That's why he says in verse 13 of chapter 4, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, I will go into this or that town and I will spend a year and I will do business and I will make a profit. James says, you do not know about tomorrow. What is your life like? You and I are a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. We ought to say instead, if the Lord is willing, we will live and we will do this and that. But he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And James goes on to say, all such boasting, verse 16, is evil. And then he says this in verse 17. So then whoever knows what is good to do and doesn't do it is guilty of sin. See, James is saying to us, do we really value our life here on earth? And most people say, well, of course I do. I, I value each and every day. Then James says, are you living it in partnership with God every day? Because if you really valued your life, then you would understand that the best life you and I could ever experience on this earth is what God's will is for our life, what God has for us, not what we think our life should look like or somebody else. And so James is saying, you, you really value your life whenever you're living without being a partner with God every day? No. No, because we'll never experience what we could with God by trying to live life apart from God. We really don't value our life and the preciousness of it, which is why James even weaves into this passage how brief, how fragile, how frail our lives are that we don't know about tomorrow. And that even if you and I live a long earthly lifespan of maybe 80 some years or even into our 90s or whatever, compared to eternity, James says, it's like a mist. It's like a, a puff of smoke. It's like a vapor that appears for a short time and then it's gone. We don't have very much time on this earth, period. So James says, why are we wasting it not living it in partnership with God every day. Why are we wasting our time here by not doing the will of God, but living for our own selves? You see, James says, that's where our faith is tested. Do we really value our life? And listen, I love what James says in verse 14 when he says, he reminds us, you don't know about tomorrow. Because... Here's why we even as Christians have to be reminded about that. We, we really have three choices of how we're going to live life, for the most part. Three choices. We can either trust God and live our lives in confidence of him and what he has said and place our lives in his hands, sort of what we talked about last week, settled hearts in God and living with God and living for God, or as a human being, I can live under the illusion that I'm in control or I can 
live this way, that I know down deep I'm not in control, even though I want to think I'm in control of life and all that surrounds me in life. And so because that is so hard on me to deal with, because I'm not trusting in God, and yet I know I'm not in control of anything, really, that what path most human beings go down, and we see that even on the rise today in our society, we choose self-medication. Because I, I can't, as a human being, we either are going to place our lives into the hands of a God that we know we can trust, or we're going to figure out that I'm going to live under the illusion that I'm in control even though we're not in control. But we want to try to convince ourselves we're in control. Somehow we, even as Christians, can almost start living our lives as if we're never going to die and life's just going to go on the way it always is and nothing's ever going to change and all of that. And even Jesus talks about that with, with the people that lived even in Noah's day. It was like he said, they just lived as if everything was going to go on just the way it was until the day Noah walked into the ark and the flood came. Said they, they just, they never looked at the fact that their earthly life wasn't going to go on forever. And so many human beings today, even Christians, because they're not really putting their life and their future in the Lord's hands, and they're not so much living under the illusion of being in control. The only other choice in order to deal with it and try to cope with it is to self-medicate. That's the only way I can deal with life if somehow I feel like it's all on me and there's nobody else that I can place my life and my future in their hands to watch over me and all of this, and that's where we are in our world today. Either we trust God, or we're living under the illusion of being in control, or we're self-medicating. And James says, if the Lord is willing, we will live or do this. Living in partnership with God and doing his will. Even Jesus said, you want to gain your life on earth? then you'll lose it for my sake. Because if you want to hold on to your life, then you're actually going to lose it. So again, what Jesus even is saying there is, do we really value our earthly life? Because if we did, we would sacrifice our desires and our wants and our will for what God has for us because we've come to understand by faith that whatever God has for us in this life is always better than what we could do on our own. And that whatever God has for us is always going to be better than what anybody else has for us, too. That God has the very best life for us. So why am I wasting my hours, my days, my weeks, and my months on this earth, as brief as my life is, trying to do this without holding God's hand every day, saying, God, please guide me, please lead me. Please show me what your will is so that I can get the most out of this very brief puff of smoke that my life ends up being on this earth. Amen. That's where our faith is tested. You see, what is our life? 
Because again, even for we as Christians, many times we in our heads go, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm not going to live forever and I know things are not always going to be this way. But then you look at the way we live and the choices and the decisions we make and it's almost like we think, nah, everything's just going to go on status quo. Nothing's ever going to change. Yet yeah, is. And one day, especially if we have that kind of sort of illusion that we're living under, it's going to change, and it's going to change real quick, and it's going to change real drastic. And unless we have the foundation of our life in God, our world is going to be rocked big time. And we're not going to be able to deal with it or handle what our future brings. You see, whether we want to believe it or not, whether you're living under the illusion or not, as James says, you and I as human beings, we don't know about tomorrow. We don't. None of us do. And that's why even on Sunday and on Wednesday, I'm very conscious that this could be the last time that I, as your pastor, stand before you and give a message, whether this is my last day on earth or whether it's your last day on earth. This might be the last time you and I ever interact on this side of eternity, you see. There's a small word, but big meaning in what James is saying here, too, in this passage from verse 13 through 17. And that is that word, if, if the Lord is willing. Because so many of us, the reason why... <laughs> we self-medicate or we seek to live under the illusion of being in control even though we're not is because we are affected very much by the what-ifs of life, right? We, we, we sit around and drown in our own thoughts and we start thinking, what if this? What if that happens? What if this goes wrong? What if, what if this turns this way. What if, what if, what if? And you know what James is saying? We need to trust the what ifs of our life to the Lord. Amen. Because again, if we are truly trusting in the Lord and having faith in him, then we won't sit around thinking about the what ifs. The what ifs are in God's hands and he can be trusted with all of our what ifs. Right. You see? And whatever the Lord's will is, God then will give us the grace to deal with it. And God will be there with us through it because he will never leave us nor forsake us. And, and his love, nothing can ever separate us from that love, Romans chapter 8. So James is saying, if I truly have faith in God, then I will just trust him with my life I will trust him with my future. I won't sit around and worry and fret and be concerned about all the what-if scenarios, most of them that will never happen anyway. I will learn to live every day to its fullest because I will live in partnership with God. And then I want us to focus on that verse 17 for just a moment. Why is that verse included in this passage on partnering with the will of God? Because James is saying, if we would stop trying to be in control of the things we're not and burning up all of our effort and energy trying to control things that we can't control and worrying about the things that, that are not in our control and would just focus on what we already know, James would say, that's living life. 
Because too often we spend so much of our time on the things we can't control and on trying to find out the things that we don't know or that God hasn't revealed rather than just right in front of us. What does God have right there, right in front of us that's staring us in the face every day that we know we should be doing? Amen. And here's the cool thing that I've learned both from Scripture and from experience in my own life. If you and I really want to know what God's will is, then just start doing the things you already know God wants you to do. And do them enthusiastically. Put your all into the things that you know already you should be doing. And guess what? If there's other things that God has, then he'll begin to reveal those much more clearly to you as you and I begin to do the things we already know. Our problem is many times we focus on the things we don't know and the things we want to know rather than living our life with the things we already know to do. And notice how strong James is here. He says, so whoever knows what is good to do, and all of us could fill our days, our weeks, our months already without learning one more thing about what we know we should be doing and throwing our all into it. James said, if you know what is good to do and you don't do it, it's sin. That's how strong James is. So James is basically saying, how much do we waste our lives as human beings throwing ourselves into things that we don't know or trying to figure out what we don't know or trying to control the uncontrollable instead of just filling our lives with what we already know we should be doing. James says that's where our faith is tested. But then James doesn't stop there. He says, yes, our faith is going to be tested by the value we place on our earthly life, our very brief life that we have on this earth. But then James says this, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Now, I want to stop there. Because there will be some here today that say, well, this, this whole passage, these six verses don't apply to me because I'm not rich. And I would just simply say this to you and I today. That for most of us, I won't say all of us, but for most of us who live in America today compared to the rest of the world, yes, we are rich. In fact, by biblical definition, I think you will see both here and other places we're going to look at today, from God's perspective, you and I are rich. Now, maybe not all of these principles will apply to you and I, because in verse 4, he's going to talk about those who have employees, and maybe we don't run our own business or have that, but, but there's going to be a lot that does apply to us here. And I want you to, again, as James says, Listen carefully and pay attention to what James and what the Lord has to say through James to all of us today. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and cry aloud for the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches are rotted. Your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your silver and gold have rusted, and their rust is a witness against you. It will consume your flesh like fire. And it is in the last days that you have hoarded treasure. Let's go on to verse 4. Look, he says, the pay you have held back from the workers who have mowed your fields cries out against you. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived indulgently 
and luxuriously on the earth, you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous, and he does not resist you. Whew. James doesn't pull any punches, does he? Very straightforward. But I think James is teaching us here again that our faith, first of all, is going to be tested by the value we place on our soul. Why do I say that? Because in this passage, these six verses, James is talking about how we, even as Christians, put so much emphasis, so much focus on making sure that we have our physical and our material needs met. But what about the need of our soul? And so many times we make sure our bellies are filled and we've got all this stuff around us, but our soul is starving. And that's why James says in chapter 5, verse 1, to the rich, he says, woe to you because of the miseries that are coming. What miseries? Well, first of all, to think, again, in this sort of delusional manner, that money and material and physical things somehow can solve all my problems. In fact, what we learn is that as we live our lives, that most of what we really are desiring and really wanting can't be bought with money. It can't be solved with material resources. It's not a matter of, of the physical. It's a matter of the spiritual. And we pay very little attention to that, James says, unless we're a person of faith. Then we secondarily put, put our physical, temporal things aside and we primarily pursue our spiritual need above everything else. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on the earth. Rather, lay up treasure in heaven. He goes on to say in that very same passage, he says, why are you worried or concerned about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear? He says, is not your life more than those things? And don't you realize that your heavenly Father knows you have need of them? And if your heavenly Father can certainly be uh, capable of taking care of the animal kingdom, do you not think he will take care and, and provide for you who are much more valuable than the animals are to him? And then he goes on to say in that very same passage, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added. See, even Jesus taught, why are we getting caught up with primarily focusing our life on, the, on making sure our material, physical needs are satisfied, but we give very little attention to the spiritual needs of our life? And that's what James is saying in these six verses. He's saying, you know, you live indulgently and luxuriously. In fact, in the first couple of verses there, why is he talking about our, our riches rotting and our clothes becoming moth-eaten and our silver and gold corroding? You know why? Because he's saying that means you have more than enough because you can't even use all that you got. In fact, he says it gets to the point where you start hoarding stuff because you can't use it all. And so then you have to start figuring out what to do with all this stuff. And it becomes crazy, James says, that we do this, especially as Christians. 
God did not bless our life to raise our standard of living. He's blessing our life to raise our standard of giving. To be generous, to share what we have and to bless others. To invest in eternity rather than making sure that my earthly kingdom's got everything I want, but what am I laying aside up in heaven? What eternal investments am I making? And I couldn't help as I was studying and meditating on this passage, thinking about the story of the the young foolish person that Jesus talks about in the gospel, where he said there was this basically young businessman and his business was doing very well to where he just had to keep, you know, building more and more storage units to house all of his stuff. And very interestingly, Jesus says this. He says, this young man says, soul? Now think about that. He's actually addressing the spiritual part of him, yet he's making this again uh, unfortunate conclusion that all of these material, physical things somehow is going to meet the need of his soul. He said, soul, you have many things that's going to last for many years. Sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus at this point says, you fool. Because tonight your soul is going to be required of you. What good is all this stuff now to you? And whose stuff is this going to end up being after you go into eternity? James says you're living, or Jesus says to this Young man, you're living foolishly because you put all your emphasis, again, on making sure you had all your physical and material, and, and, and so much so that, you know, instead of trusting in the Lord to meet your needs and give you every day your daily bread, you, you started piling up and storing and hoarding all this stuff because somehow that's where your security, that's where your stability was, and making sure you surrounded yourself with your stuff rather than sinking yourself into a relationship with God and trusting him to be your stability and security. Amen. James and Jesus are on the same page here. They're basically saying that's where our values are tested. That's where our faith is tested. It's first of all, what emphasis are we giving to our soul? Because like Jesus and James have both said, so often we can, even on earth, this brief little time we have on this earth, we can throw all of our focus and all of our energy and all of our effort in making sure we've got, you know, our retirement accounts and, and all of this and all of our material and physical need taken care of, but we neglect the greatest need, and that's the need of our soul. And our soul ends up starving because we spend all of our life making sure we've got so much stuff and all of these material, physical things, and yet, as James even says, and Jesus is so often too, it's self-indulgent. It's not that we gather this stuff up or else it wouldn't be hoarded. We don't, we're not actually gaining it to share and to give and to bless others. It's more just about us. And James says, it shouldn't be that way. That's why he even in verse 4 talks to those who have employees and says, 
You keep wanting more for yourself rather than giving your workers a fair wage or what they should be given or even to be very generous with those who work for you. No, he says, you have been stingy with your workers. You haven't given them what they deserve and their cries are reaching my ears, God says. I also couldn't help but think of that passage in 1 Timothy where Paul talks about these same principles. Listen to the words of the Lord through Paul. He says, now godliness combined with contentment brings great profit. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we will not take a single thing out either. So Paul says, having food and shelter, we should be satisfied with that. For he goes on to say, for those who long to be rich stumble into a temptation and a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And then he says, for the love of money is the root of all evils. And some who have reached for it, have strayed from the faith and have stabbed themselves with many pains. Wow. Paul, James, Jesus, you name it, the teaching of Scripture is simply this, that if we truly have faith in God, first of all, we will value our brief earthly life enough to make sure that our life is living out the will that God has for us every day and that we will live in partnership with him. Instead of presuming upon our life and that somehow we're going to be here all, you know, forever and that everything's going to go on just as it always is, James says, no, don't live that way. That's boasting in our arrogance. James says, we ought to live every day If the Lord is willing, I will live, I will do this or that. And then our faith is also tested by the value we place on our soul, especially compared to material and physical things. James says we make sure that we fill ourselves up materially and physically, but what emphasis are we really placing in our life on our soul? Do we value our soul more than we do all these material, physical things that will not last and that we can't take with us into eternity? Or do we value the eternal part of us more? And then he says, if we really have faith in the Lord, like Jesus said, instead of accumulating treasure on earth, we will start investing in eternity. And we will make sure that we are sending ahead many, many eternal investments that we will be able to experience and enjoy throughout eternity rather than making our kingdom just about the here and now, you see. Oh, and by the way, James says something very important in verse 5 when he says, you and I can end up fattening our hearts. In other words, he says, when we live even as Christians with misplaced values, It leads to spiritual complacency. 
Our heart, if you will, becomes very flabby and out of shape, like you and I can get flabby and out of shape physically, and where then we can't maybe do or perform or, or, or be challenged uh, in, in the physical realm because physically we're not in shape enough to be able to handle it or deal with it. James says the same thing can happen to us spiritually, where we neglect our spiritual part of us over the physical and where we don't feed our soul as much as we feed our bodies and where also because our values are misplaced and we're putting value on things that don't matter compared to those that do matter and where we're not making eternal investments, he says our heart, the very center of, of everything that we do and decide and, and all of that can become very fat, if you will, and out of shape and flabby where it's not working properly. And this spiritual complacency and sort of comfort can settle in. And we just get very cushy and very comfortable in our lives and in our, you know, faith to where we're not challenged and, and, and where, you know, we're, we're not stepping up and getting sort of out of the boat like Peter did and, and continuing to make progress and continuing to push ourselves spiritually. No, we, we get more and more comfortable. And James says, that's a very spiritually dangerous place to be. Because he says, there is a payday, if you will, coming. It's coming. The miseries are coming for those who thought that life was all about the physical, the material, the temporal. James says, oh my goodness, one day things are going to shift and they're never going to shift back. And one day all that you lived for is going to be gone. And the thing that could have really lasted, the eternal investments, there's nothing to show for it. Nothing. No treasure laid up in heaven at all. No eternal investments made. It was all about this life. It was all about this earth. It was all about what I can touch and feel and taste and all of that now rather than living with eternity in mind. Now let me say this at this point. As the pastor of this church, I want to stop at this moment and I want to thank many of you, many of you, for the eternal investments that you have made over the years to make this possible. Many of you have sacrificed and you have either given to our offering over the years to where we we're able to buy this property and build this building, or many of you have donated things in this church now so that we could enjoy what we enjoy here. I want to thank you for that. I want to commend you, I guess, and encourage you for the eternal investments that you are making. And all I would say is, we need more of you. We need more people who are willing to see that that what we are doing here is worthwhile, not just for the here and now, but for eternity, and to get on board with us and begin to make not just, you know, earthly investments in their life, but eternal investments 
with their life and with the resources that God has blessed us with. Because without people in any church, without that kind of a mindset, the work of God and the growth that God wants to, to see happen in our lives will get to a place where it will stop because we stop the push, if you will. We get very comfortable, very cushy, get sort of soft, and we stop realizing that, no, we can never stop because we've only got such a brief time on this earth. And if you and I want to make the most of the time that God gives us, we've got to wake up every day and say, God, what do you have for me today? Amen. If the Lord is willing. Let me ask some of you this. Some of you maybe have been in your life plagued by what was plagued, uh, plaguing in my life for many years, and that was the anxiety, the panic attacks, the, the worry, the fretting, because I sought to be in control of that which I couldn't control, and, and a lot of the what-ifs of life just dominated my thinking, and I was not at rest in here. I want you to know that God, my God, your God, can deliver you from that because he did me. And I want to encourage you today that if you've come here and you've come here with your mind and your heart and your insides just all, you know, tight and, and all of that and you're full of anxiety and angst in your life, I'm hoping that today, maybe for the very first time in your life or maybe at least for the first time in a long time, you will realize I need to turn over the what-ifs of my life to the Lord and I need to trust him. And I need to get that peace of mind that the Bible talks about, that, that peace that passes all understanding just by trusting in the Lord. Because even the, Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, and he will. He will. Will some of you turn over those what-ifs to the Lord today and trust him? Secondly, will some of you realize my goodness, I have been making sure for the last couple years or months or weeks of my life that I've had everything that I want to have physically and materially, but I've left my soul starve. And I've surrounded myself with all this stuff, but it's still not doing it for me. I need to make a decision and a choice consciously and intentionally today to start feeding my soul as much as I feed myself. And then there might be some of you here today that go, you know, Lord, you're right. I've been making sure that I've been making all the wisest earthly investments, getting the most out of my money and my resources and multiplying what I have and being good stewards of what you've blessed me with. And there's not a thing wrong with that, folks. As long as we're also making eternal investments along the way. 
and where we're always keeping eternity in mind and where, like Jesus said, we're not just accumulating things on the earth, but we're laying up treasure in heaven. And maybe some of you today are being now motivated and inspired to begin or maybe to continue to make those eternal investments. Because I will tell you from the authority of God's own word, when you and I get to eternity, we will never regret the eternal investments that we have made. That there's never a time in the Bible where God says, this man or this woman they made all these eternal investments, sometimes at the sacrifice of their earthly investments or their earthly life, and they get to heaven and go, oh my goodness, I wish I would have done more for earth than I did for eternity. There's never going to be that reaction. In fact, can I say, it's going to be just the opposite. It's going to be, oh, once I see this place, once I see God and all his glory, once I see what he, who he is and what he's done for me and what he's got for me for all of eternity, why did I spend so much time building up an earthly kingdom rather than investing in this eternity? Because the Bible says there are going to be some Christians when they die and go to be with Jesus, they have nothing, nothing to show for it. Everything that they lived for will be burned up and left behind. I think to myself, wow. What a tragic day that will be to think that all this stuff that you and I sometimes focus on can't even take it with us, much less enjoy it throughout eternity. But if we invest in eternity... We get to experience it and enjoy it forever. Amen. Would you stand with me? And let's close in prayer. Father, as we come to a time of worship, I pray today, God, that our hearts would certainly bow before you. God, I pray that our hearts have been touched and moved today by the moving of your spirit and by the proclamation of your word. God, some of us needed a wake-up call in our life. Some of us were going down through our days and weeks and months and years as if we'll live forever and nothing will ever change. But God, we've been reminded that that's, that's not true. That's not reality. Just like the young man that Jesus talked about, this might even be the last day some of us might even live on this earth. Do I live with eternity in view? Is my faith reflected in my eternal investments? Is my faith reflected in the feeding of my soul? And is my faith reflected in how I live my life in partnership with you, God, every day? Lord, I pray as a church that we would never stop running after you. That, yeah, at times it might be uncomfortable. It might be out of our comfort zone. There might be times of 
sacrifice and and hardship and all of that, but God, whatever you have for us as a church and whatever you have, God, for us as individuals is always going to be better than anything that we could have planned or purposed for ourselves. You know best, God. May we have the faith to reach up to you, take you by the hand, and walk through this life with you. Jesus said, If we want to gain our life on this earth, we will lose it for his sake. We will take up our cross every day and follow Jesus. We will deny self for the sake of the Savior. God, may that be our heart's desire today as you lead us to the cross. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.